Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with my great cutting-edge partner, Peter Diamandis, who every once in a while checks in with the mainland, spending <laughs> all of his time going around the world, setting up A360 all over the world. <laughs> it's a real pleasure, but first of all, hi. Hey, buddy. Good to hear <laughs> yeah. your voice. Good to see you. You just put in a plug for free days. I to did. me, this is like passage into strategic coach manhood. What you're you pulling know, off. You know, setting up a moonshot or, you know, raising a few hundred million dollars is the easy stuff. Well, I'm proud to report to Dan Sullivan, my coach, when I set up free days. For me, that's harder thing in the universe than anything else. So, Dan, I got two weeks of free days. It's going to be awesome. And July, yes, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, well, give them the other part of this. Well, I'm taking the family to Iceland, and we're going to be Iceland and Greenland, going with some friends and our seven-year-old kids, will be seven in July, to go and sort of an educational trip experience. And I had to actually get myself out of two speaking gigs that I had signed up for. And at this point, trading a large chunk of revenue for free days was a really important part of my, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's the maturity of my life in the coach universe. Well, kudos. It's really great. So, Peter, at Abundance 360, we had a marvelous panel convergence. This was last January, and it was on the blockchain. And there was a woman. Is she Serbian? Does she come from Serbia? I'm actually blanking where Maya's from, but yes, I believe so. That Eastern European. Yeah, but she came out of yes. all the troubles yes. in the Baltic Wars. Yeah. And she talked about this concept, which I was sitting there, and, you know, I'm kind of a political junkie since birth, and I'm always looking for ideas that would make a difference. And she came up with an idea, and it's, when I investigated it, it's actually being talked about very widely on the, certainly on the internet, and it's a concept called self-sovereign identity. And what it is essentially, it depends really on the new blockchain technology, having blockchains, but you'll have an identity which you control, which you own, which is on the blockchain, where anywhere in the world you have an identity that doesn't depend upon other forces. It's just locked right in, and nobody can tamper with your identity. Nobody can go in, change the information, or fiddle with the information. And this becomes, for the first time in my thinking, this is a fundamentally new political idea on the planet, that individuals would have sovereignty. Yeah, I mean, interesting, right? We have talked about this a lot with you in the past, of the empowerment of the individual, right? As an individual today, we've got access to more computational power or knowledge or wealth or any technology than governments had just 20, 30 years ago. And it's this rise of the individual is a very powerful idea. You know, I just did an impact filter on it for this particular podcast, and I wanted to really think it through, and then I read about four or five articles on the internet where people are going deep in it, but essentially, it's a single, valid, individual identity that is recognized throughout the world. In other words, wherever you go, whether you're doing financial transactions or you're crossing a border or anything else, you have this identity that is valid. You know, everybody's talked about global citizen, but there's a flaw in global citizen because the word citizen means that you belong in one jurisdiction rather than another jurisdiction. But this is a globally valid identity 
that would be recognized. And the part of the world that wouldn't recognize this is part of the world that you wouldn't want to spend any time with. So (laughs) there would be more and more places where all you would have is your, this is how I'm reading it. I mean, Peter, you know people who are going deeper into this. What are they saying? And first of all, is it started at all? Is it actually exist? Yeah, so there are a number of organizations working on giving you a sovereign identity. So we have, I think, nearly a billion people on the planet who don't have documented citizenship. What does that mean? They were born someplace. They have a family that might have previous citizenships, but their country was overthrown. They were evicted. They basically don't have papers. And as a result, without that citizenship, without those papers, there's a very difficult time for them to get any benefits. And they're basically become in a no man's land. Mm -hmm. So There are efforts right now that would give every single human on the planet a sovereign identity that you could associate or affiliate with whatever you'd like. So interestingly, you know, again, I've talked about this is like, I am a U.S. citizen. My parents were both born in Greece. I have some affiliation with my family back there. I was a Greek Orthodox as a religion, but I probably affiliate and think of my sovereign identity more as a technologist or a space enthusiast than I do with any nation state. Mm-hmm. So the question is, you know, it mattered what town you were born in and what geography you were born in, what language you spoke, what currency you traded before, that's how your identity was identified. But in the future, as we head towards a digital existence, maybe I choose what sovereign association of individuals I should be part of, Mm -hmm. where I pay my taxes, who I affiliate with, where I spend most of my income or revenue generating ability. Yeah. I mean, if you can write a big enough check in today's world, you can get almost any kind of protection that you want. But talk to me about the difference between what will give you when you actually have this. And could you just explain the blockchain basis to this? Because my feeling is that it's kind of a neat thought until you actually get the technology platform to support it. Yeah, so three days ago, I was in St. Petersburg, Russia. And I flew out to Moscow, then connected to Russia. And I have carrying with me this little booklet called my passport. And that passport is my ID. I was thinking about the fact that for about a split microsecond, is it in my jacket pocket or in my bag? And it's like, if you lose your passport, you're screwed. It's like... You have no identity. Yeah, I am. Who am I? I totally... (laughs) I have to go to the U.S. consulate now in St. Petersburg or Moscow and try and regain my identity. And if your country is overthrown or if there is a viral worm that eats a computer database or there's a fire that destroys your records, all of a sudden your ID comes into question. I mean, imagine if all of a sudden that also is true for your bank records or for all kinds of records because those records are typically in one single place. In this case, it might be the U.S. database or my passport. The blockchain is a distributed ledger, which means imagine if my ID, who I am, could be tied to my DNA, could be tied to my iris scan, could be tied to my fingerprints, it could be tied to a whole slew of things. But that ID is on the blockchain. That blockchain is now resident in millions of computers or hundreds of millions of computers distributed around the world. 
and it's immutable, meaning it cannot be changed. And so mm-hmm. when my ID is put on the blockchain and I have my private key to unlock it, I can prove I am who I am to anyone around the world at any time, not having to go to the U.S. consulate or to someplace else. Mm-hmm. And that ID could eventually give me rights to universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Like anybody with this ID gets an annual stipend of money or anyone with this ID gets access to free education or gets access to this kind of health care. So these kinds of universal IDs tied to the blockchain may end up becoming the mechanism by which we get access to goods and services on the planet from here on out. One of the things that I'm very conscious of because an enormous number of strategic coach clients do transactions across jurisdictional lines, which would include national lines, and there's always a holdup and where the persons involved are getting checked out. In other words, there's two or three days before there's a verification that this individual, but from what I read about the blockchain capability of your self-sovereign identity, it's really that it's instantaneous. I mean, it's instantaneous wherever you got. Yeah, basically your ability to, through effectively a user interface, an app that will be able to interface with whatever blockchain, there are a multitude of blockchains, right? It could be an Ethereum blockchain, it could be an EOS blockchain, there are multiple blockchains that are coming online right now, but that are operating on large numbers of computers around the world that I could go and prove to anyone that this is my unique ID. You know, I've been talking and trying to find layman's terms for people because the blockchain takes a bit to really get your mind around it because it's it's a function of computing power that never has been available before. But I was trying to tell people, I said, how many years have you been using your ATM card? So I just got back from the UK and I used it a couple of times when I was in the UK. And it was faster this year than it's been in previous years. You know, the money comes out. And I was trying to think, it's been 25 years since I've been using the card. And I've never been shortchanged. I don't know what I would do if I was actually (laughs) I said, prove it. Do you stop to count it still? (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I say, you know, a dodgy ATM, you know, what would you do with that? (laughs) But the other thing is that my account's never been run in 25 years. You know, the money is always checked out. So I said, think of the ATM. Did you ever meet D-Bach? A guy named D. Bach. I don't think so. No, he was the guy who went around for about eight years and convinced all the banks, because the U.S. has always been very decentralized in terms of banking, and he went around to show them why it would be a good idea for them to be on the visa. He actually went and did the visa, and I was on a speaking platform with him, and he said it was just hard, hard work to get the bankers to understand why they should be part of this system. You know, and this is like 25, 30 years ago. It was really interesting to me how he was really pushing rocks up a hill at that time to get people to buy into it. And now, I mean, everybody in the world would want to be on the widest possible system. So I said, think of the ATM system, except times a trillion, and you have blockchain. It's instantaneous. Everything is in real time on the blockchain. Anybody who's making money as an intermediary between transactions gets cut out. You know, everybody's looking at this real estate industry, the financial industry, because if you're making your money by being an intermediary, in other words, you're not really adding any value. You're just part of an integrated circuit. 
but there's a commission that you take out on the way through. So talk about who gets eliminated when you have self-sovereign identity. Who gets eliminated from your life that right now you really find an annoyance? (laughs) Well, so it's interesting, right? At the end of the day, this idea of a self-sovereign identity will play into a multitude of different places. It reinvents our entire potential for a democracy. So the House and the Senate get eliminated. (laughs) I mean, the notion that we live in a representative democracy is interesting, right? We elect uh, Congress in the United States to represent us and have the debates and so forth. Mm -hmm. But imagine if I have, and I love this vision of the future of politics, I actually, instead of selecting a large number of voting on a politician who I'm pretty sure doesn't understand what's going on in the space program, doesn't really understand healthcare, doesn't really understand the things I care about. Instead, imagine if there's a list of 200 issues and I assign all issues related to U.S.-Canadian relationships, I assign it to Dan Sullivan. So when a vote comes up, Dan has got my vote on that. If there's an issue on space, Dan Sullivan assigns his vote on space to me because he knows I'm familiar with that. And so imagine in this future where I can assign my vote on any specific issue to a person who I believe represents my interests in that area. Mm-hmm. And so when a vote goes to the floor of our governance... So it's essentially a preloaded representative. Per subject. Yeah. And so when the vote goes up, and it's an issue on NASA's budget, everyone gets a vote, but my vote, or in this case your vote, gets transferred to me, and I've accumulated 27,000 votes out of 400 million Americans. And so I vote 27,000 times. And for me, that's an interesting vision of the future in that regard. Yeah. What I would say the successful impact of new technologies is faster, easier, cheaper, with a bigger result. Another thing that gets eliminated here is property records. So the fact of the matter is my sovereign identity can be tied to my ownership record of my house. Title is transferred instantly to me and it's on the blockchain, and it's tied to my identity, and it's done. There it is. And it's anywhere you go and look in 10 million representations of the blockchain, my identity and my title for my house is associated and affiliated right then and there. So there's other things. My health records could be tied to my identity. Mm -hmm. My DNA can be tied. Anything that's uniquely mine that might otherwise be stored on this person's computer Mm -hmm. or in my filing cabinet or that company's computer can be tied to my sovereign identity, as well as my likes and my dislikes. Mm -hmm. And there are many companies, social media companies right now that want to basically have you aggregate your own buying behavior that becomes solely your own province. And you can decide whether you want to sell that to a marketing company or not. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a layman here. I'm I'm not plugged into the technology world that's actually developing this. But tell me why in the blockchain, just in layman's terms here, Peter, why is it tamper-proof? What is the aspect of the blockchain that makes it tamper-proof? Because that's a huge issue with identity that, I mean, there's 
scandals a month with large companies, you know, they're getting hacked and everything. What makes this such a revolutionary? It's not a revolutionary, it's just a quantum leap in terms of protection. Yeah, so to keep it simple, because there will be a point in the level of detail where it's beyond me and beyond a lot of people I know. (laughs) But to keep it simple, if you had a single computer, you could go and hack it. If there were 10 computers that my data was reserved on, and those 10 computers had to agree on their records every 10 minutes, so to say, then the chances of you being able to hack those 10 computers to change the data on all of them at the same time would be less. But imagine if instead there were millions of computers around the world who were effectively agreeing on what adding a new block of data onto this blockchain, which is where the name comes from. In a way, your ability to go and hack all of those computers simultaneously in a way that they all agreed on an alternate form of reality gets exponentially harder and harder the more people. And so we talk about mining operations to go and mine for Bitcoin. What that effectively is doing is every time you're mining for Bitcoin, your computer is working with all the other computers to get a agreed upon vision of what the next block in the blockchain is saying. So it's Mm -hmm. tamper proof in the massive scale that the blockchain is developing. This would be an immortality project if you set your mind about it. In other words, if you want to spend the next 10,000 years changing a record, maybe... Well, it's not even that. It's that once it's printed into the blockchain, it's back there in history and to change it in the next block. But what's going to play, interestingly enough, and I don't have an answer for it, is how quantum computing is going to play into the blockchain. There are concerns coming up that says quantum computing may cause a hiccup here. And so I'm trying to dig down into that to understand fully what that means. Okay, just from your own timeline, because I'd be very, very interested in this personally, and I think that technology becomes meaningful when it becomes personal and there's an accessibility to it. So what are you seeing? Let's say you, Peter, two years from now, five years from now, do you have the blockchain protection for your self-sovereign identity? So... There are players who are doing that right now. And the question becomes, you might have your identity on a multitude of blockchains. And the question becomes, how do you make that the user interface? So I talk about user interface moments a lot. I talk about the notion that all of these technologies are extremely complicated until you create something as simple as the web browser. You know, Mosaic by Mark Andreessen back in 1993 made the ARPANET the internet and a useful global network. So there are companies, all of these ICOs, these initial coin offerings, there are a multitude of companies that are creating variations of this. So one of them is a company, I can't discuss it fully, it'll be announced very soon, but it is really for crowdsourcing work where you have an ID that you can use putting yourself out there and for generating work in the crowdsource universe. But it's a unique ID in this crowdsource universe that allows you to get work, to get a reputational score, and to get paid any place on the planet. There are huge number of refugees in the world right now. Do you know what the number is right now, Dan, by any chance? I mean, it's... 
no. probably hundreds of millions, probably approaching near a billion. Mm-hmm. So there are companies working on creating identities for these individuals. Yeah, yeah, and helping them with that identity then get aid to support their life and their work. So a lot of pressure for that. So I think we're going to start to see a tremendous amount of progress in the next couple of years here. I always feel that before you get iTunes, you always get Napster. So that one of the things that people have to realize that in almost any breakthrough like this, criminals are looking at it too, because they don't want to be left behind. They don't want to be left out of that. And so the ingeniousness of the criminal mind is really extraordinary how you can do it. I mean, take the refugees, the huge amount of money that criminals are making off refugees. And then they're left with nothing at the end of it. I think the woman that you had at the Maya, yes. A360, I mean, what was so vivid about her account is that she actually experienced the complete loss of, of sovereign identity. She had no identity whatsoever because she was displaced by the war in the Balkans. I mean, I'm just doing a very quick look over here, right? An article from 10 days ago, Ethereum blockchain is restoring identity for Syrian refugees. Could blockchain technology help refugees Mm -hmm. to prove their identity? Microsoft and Accenture are helping United Nations with refugee global ID programs. So, I mean, there is a huge need Mm -hmm. and public outcry, and it's something that the blockchain is perfect for. But it goes way beyond. I mean, I think the fundamental human need of helping refugees regain their dignity and regain the ability to live a life and cross borders I mean, because you get stuck, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have ID, you have to risk your life to cross the border over the fence, you know, or through the river. It was like the Tom Hanks movie where he was caught in the airline terminals. Yeah. (laughs) He couldn't come into the country and they couldn't send him back. So he he actually took over part of the airline terminal and created his own personal. (laughs) But they made a comic movie out of it. But there are people who are actually in that situation. They're in no man's land. But it goes way beyond that. My ID will become the means by which I do everything, my health care, my banking, my voting, mm-hmm. own my resources. And the multitude of applications for blockchain are growing at an innumerable rate. Even while the price of Ethereum and Bitcoin are slowly deflating, I have never seen this much enthusiasm for blockchain and for tokenizing products and services than right now. I mean, a massive amount of interest. Peter, I don't want to freak you out about this, but those two weeks you're spending in Iceland, yeah, I don't want you to get the feeling that you're being left out or left behind anything during those two weeks. You know that. Well, you know that Iceland has uh, one of the strongest concentrations of geothermal energy, right? And also has a lot of cold. That's why they call it Iceland. The entire city of Reykjavik is thermally powered. And when you have a combination of high energy generation and cold temperatures, it turns out to be the ideal place on the planet to put blockchain mining operations. So the number of blockchains being resolved there is astronomical. So I might just go actually and visit a few of those companies while I'm there, just for fun. Mm, okay, but you got to be truthful about whether it's actually a free day or not. This is a <laughs> test to you because you're on your own here. You're not supervised or anything know. here. You know. <laughs> anyway, but thanks for I mean, I'm smarter at the end of this half hour than I was before about this conversation. But my instinct that this is a new thing on the planet, I think, has been really 
strengthened by our interchange here. So, Peter, thanks a lot. You've been really focused on something. I don't know if you want to talk about this next time, but the morality of immortality just sounds like a really, really great subject. Yeah, I just took a group of my largest benefactors and donors to the Vatican for a week for a conference on longevity and regenerative medicine, which obviously you and I are very much enjoying that conversation. And at the Vatican, I sparked up one of the panel topics, which was on the morality of immortality. And as I like to joke about it, the immorality of mortality. On the panel, Sanjay Gupta was helping to run it, mediate it. Uh, It was Francis Collins, the head of the NIH. But it was a Catholic priest. It was a Jewish rabbi. It was a member of the Mormon church. And it was a really fun conversation about how should we feel about wanting to extend our lives mm-hmm. 30 years or 100 years. There were some interesting points of view, and I think I'll save them for our next conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Peter. My pleasure, my friend. Excited to see you very soon at my next coach session. And my very best to Babs, as always. Great.